Good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Capel Smith welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. That's Parker McCollum, Misunderstood. I've really been digging his stuff lately. Love that tune. And I love the fact that you guys and gals are tuned in because we've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, It's going to be, well, it's going to be one for the ages because I just got back from literally... One of my all-time bucket list hunts. Well, it was more of an adventure, really. Um, and it's right up there with South Africa. And taking a bull elk with my bow in New Mexico on public land as far as the things that I've done as an outdoorsman that really stand out. And we're going to talk about my recent British Columbia trapline trip with Babine Guide Outfitters up around Smithers, uh, British Columbia. So much to get into as uh, truly this is an art form that very few people are keeping alive as far as trapping goes. And it's something that uh, from a historical standpoint was essential in the growth of the United States and Canada. Uh, So we'll talk about all that today uh, in great detail. And I'll give you a brief overview here momentarily, but you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we've got a ton to get into. And uh, we're going to do it all with my buddy and longtime trapper, Jack Hooper of Babine Guide Outfitters. I spent a week with uh, Jack and his brother Lloyd. Really split up about half and half on the trap line as far as my time with Lloyd. I think it was for four days and Jack was the last two days. Totally opposite, these two brothers. Uh, But as far as their knowledge on trapping goes, they've got, I think, 35 years of experience between the two of them. And uh, they're full-time outfitters. They do uh, moose, mountain goat, black bear, um, and then the trap line uh, during the winter. And when I say winter, us Texans, we don't really know what winter is. Why don't you go up to B.C. in February and then uh, you'll have a better idea of what a lot of people, you know, that's just normal to them. And for for me, um, it's kind of crazy. Temperatures are single digits every day. There's four foot of snow on the ground. And it's snowing constantly while I'm up there. Uh, so I, I had the best first light gear money could buy. It kept me warm and dry. And we'll discuss the gear that I wore and a couple other tips I used to stay warm uh, on an upcoming uh, episode with First Lights, Ryan Callahan. But today it's going to be all trap line. It's going to be the ups and downs, highs and lows, um, some unfortunate things that happened. Uh, I mean, I was rock bottom there for uh, <laughs> for a couple days. And then uh, some funny things that happened to kind of lift our spirits. Uh, overall, we caught seven species, everything from lynx, to wolverine, uh, martens, weasels, and uh, a few other larger animals, but I'm not willing to let the cat out of the bag on those just yet, so you'll have to stay tuned. I will tell you this, the main reason why I wanted to go uh, from a conservation standpoint was to trap or shoot a wolf, or more, I mean, hey, the more the merrier. If I could have killed 10 wolves, or we'd have caught 10 wolves, that would have been great. Uh, But as far as the lows go, yeah, 
I'll tell you more about that here in a little bit. But you got to ride the whole wave with me uh, because this story might have a happy ending. We'll see. Um, Let's go ahead and do this because we've got so much to get into. Let's do a quick giveaway, then knock out a break and jump right into it with Jack Cooper. And here's how you win today. All you do is you email me at LoneStarOutdoorsShow.com if you're interested in winning a pair of Costa sunglasses. I've got a pair of Costas right here. I'm holding them, looking at them. They'd look pretty good on me, but I want to put them on you. So email Costa to LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com if you want to enter to win. That way we get everyone that's tuned in via the podcast registered as well. And then here's what we'll do. We'll draw the winner next week on the show. That's right. So everyone gets to enter, and then the winner will have their name read during the program. So email Costa to LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com to throw your hat in the ring. Let's take a break. Up next, we're going to hit the BC trap line with Jack Hooper. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A rock steady point, a covey rises, over unders ring out. Cable here for White Rock Upland Birds, an outfit Bell and I have hunted with many times. Whether you bring your bird dogs or use their polished pointers, hunting quail and pheasant on the White Rock Trophy Ranch is an experience to remember. Located 45 minutes from TFW in Italy, Texas, White Rock will waive the $150 guide fee if you mention the Lone Star Outdoors show. Plus, save $25 off any package if you bring your own dogs. So grab your buddies and shotguns and call 972-880-9068 today. back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today, as we are all set to get into one of my favorite adventures that I've ever experienced, Uh, one that was two years in the making, uh, and one that I'm certainly excited to share with you guys and gals. But before I tell you all about my British Columbia trapping experience, uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by First Light. Uh, It's the gear that kept me high and dry on that trap line. I'm telling you, it was a new kind of cold uh, for a Texan anyway to see temperatures in the single digits with snow every day. Uh, Man, it was chilly. But the First Light Sanctuary jacket and bib combo, yeah, kept me nice and warm. You can find it as well as First Light's entire lineup by going to firstlight.com, and it is available only on their website. Okay, well, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest today. Someone who, you know, when I booked this trip with him, it was strictly a business relationship, really. I wanted to catch a wolf or shoot a wolf, and Jack and Lloyd Hooper at Babine Guide Outfitters, they were the ones who were going to give me the best opportunity to make that dream a reality. And let me preface it by saying I don't hate wolves. You guys and gals know that I think every animal has its place just with an increased human 
population that is ever expanding and a fractured landscape, uh, the wolves, it's, it's not like it was 300 years ago. They have got to be managed and they have got to be kept in specific areas. And if they get out of those designated areas, which they will, uh, then they should be fair game. No seasons, no bag limits. And I guarantee you this, if that was the case, we still would see wolf populations increasing because quotas from hunters and trappers are never met and the wolves are winning. So uh, an animal that I respect the hell out of and one that uh, I don't want to see gone from the landscape, but yeah, one that I certainly, as a conservationist, wanted to harvest. And so joining me now to talk wolves and a myriad of other species that we would come across on the trap line, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend Jack Hooper to the show. How in the world are you, man? Good. <laughs> it's great to visit with you. It's, I guess I've only been home about a, a week now, but I'm still on cloud nine after our, our epic adventure uh, up in the uh, British Columbian bush last week. Well, we had some pretty good luck there at the end there. It was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, let's give everyone a little backstory. You and I met at the uh, 2016 Dallas Safari Club show. You were an exhibitor there. And I was on the exhibitor welcome committee. So I had about uh, 10 to 12 exhibitors that I would walk around and check in on every uh, morning, make sure they were doing okay. Vabine Guides happened to be one of those exhibitors. And I immediately became interested in this trapline adventure. Because, number one, I'm fascinated by the way that the old timers did things. And in the fur industry, not gold or anything else, the fur industry is what pushed westward expansion across North America. Uh, so that time-honored tradition is something that I wanted to learn a lot about. Plus, I wanted to get a wolf really bad. And after pricing hunts in Idaho and Montana, uh, the trap line seemed like the best option because you, you really you pay the same rate or something comparable on those wolf hunts, but your success rate's about 40%, whereas with you guys on the trap line, it's, uh, what, maybe double that? Uh, I'd say it's closer to 90%. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe out of eight clients, one might go home without a wolf, uh, but those are mainly, like you said, off the trap line. It's the most efficient way to uh, try to get a wolf, whereas uh, hunting is it's probably about the most difficult North American animal to target and have success at. Sure, sure. And, and this was actually a mix of both. We actually wolf hunted every morning, and we'll get into that a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, more here later. Um, but, you know, I was hooked. When when you told me 90% success rate, I said, okay, this is something I want to do. And and so we booked it there in 2016. And, and obviously this this tra- trap line adventure is, is something that's in high demand. So I think you had one opening in 2017, and it wouldn't work because it was the week of DSC, which obviously I had to be back there, and so did you. Um, so that didn't work. So we said, all right, let's look at 2018. And, and uh, so two years in the making, it finally came. And I headed up to uh, to BC last week to Babine Lake, a place that you've spent your entire life at. Yeah, we've been out here since I was about three years old. My brother, or four years old, my brother was two years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we've just been raised out here. Uh, I didn't pretty much know nothing else. <laughs> yeah, and so you and Lloyd, your brother, your partners in this, and you actually bought the guiding area from your dad. Yeah, about uh, 10 years ago, but as a family outfit, this, we're working on our 39th season. Right on. And, and Jack, you know, when I'm from 500, 1,000 acres, those are nice-sized hunting properties. 
I don't think people understand how vast your hunting area is. Well, this area that we have here is uh, nearly 4,000 square miles. Oh, my gosh. And it's uh, five guiding territories combined to make one big area that we uh, just continually expanded on over the years of operating. Uh huh. And now the actual guiding areas are, are purchased from the government. Right. Yeah. So it entitled us to all guiding rights inside that area, that the sole guiding rights for uh, taking out non-residents on uh, moose hunts, wolf hunts, uh, goat hunts, black bear. Right. Right. And and the trap line's a little different though, because even though you guys have the hunting rights in there, you still have to. Um, get an exist. It's like an existing trap line, and and it turns out you guys had to go back and and lease these from some of the uh, native Indians. Yeah, yeah, and we've uh, leased five trap lines uh-huh. in order to uh, offer these trips in the in the uh, type of trips that we have because we're this way we can uh, hit most of our guiding territory. The the trap lines are spread out so that uh, we're trapping a very large area, really because uh, we'd be trapping animals even outside of the trap line, trying to lure them inside the area to take care of, especially some of these predators. You know, it's a, it's a pretty big deal for us to do uh, uh, management of the wolves and, and uh, predators. Right, right, yeah. And, and, you know, there are days, like a typical day would be uh, wake up, have a cup of coffee, check the lodge bait. You'll have a, a bait right there in front of the lodge. It's 200 yards away. Um, and then we would go on a wolf hunt. We would we had a, a dead moose or some other bait about oh, almost a mile away, and we'd head out before the sun came up and, and walk over there. Uh, I think a client had already shot a wolf off of that bait earlier this year, off that setup, and so you never know. Um, I was with Lloyd for the first four days of the trip, and, and on the very first morning, we you know got ready to go wolf hunting, didn't see anything on the bait, and we were coming back to the lodge walking back across the frozen lake and and Lloyd's like be still and look out across the the lake and and snow's coming down he goes that, that, that's either a wolf or a coyote and he's like no it's too big to be a coyote and so like boom right out of the chute I see my first wolf we get within 400 yards and we couldn't get it to turn broadside that's still a pretty long shot off of shooting sticks you know anyway I prefer to be prone in that situation and and it didn't turn broadside till 575 and Lloyd Lloyd you know, used his experience and said, there's no reason to throw a Hail Mary at it. If we don't scare it, it'll stay in this area. And, and, uh, that would come back to, you know, turn out to be true later on in the week. For me, that was cool. I got to see a wolf right immediately. And that's how the day would start. And then going back to how big the, uh, the trapping area was, you know, we would essentially get in the truck or on a snow machine from there and start covering miles and miles and miles. Yeah. We'd be typically, uh, trying to trap half a dozen different packs. Uh, so typically we would need to cover huge amounts of area in order to target that many different packs and uh, have good success at it sure. and go through lots of bait too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing there. I mean, uh, they have you guys on speed dial. If anyone in the community that sees a road killed animal, a moose or deer or, you know, whatever, uh, they call you. And then you also, and we did this one night, we came into town actually to pick you up. Uh, you were coming back from another trade show, and so Lloyd and I uh, came to get you, and, and we made a run by the slaughterhouse. And so they appreciate uh, – you, you guys have a mutually beneficial relationship because you get rid of all the nasty bits that they don't want to have to deal with. Yeah, and then uh, we get to use it for wolf bait. And typically in a season, we could go through as much as 60,000 pounds of bait 
in order for us to uh, have good success on getting a, a large amount of wolves. Yeah, and so and I call them bait sickles because essentially they dump all of the uh, guts and hides and everything into uh, you know these big plastic uh, trash cans, and they freeze, and you guys pick them up, and then we uh, we dump them out on the trap line. <laughs> Yeah, and if they don't freeze, unfortunately, the birds will come and take it away within two days. So we need them to freeze. Otherwise, uh, the bait won't be there for when the wolves show up. Right. And, and Lloyd even told me he's he's woke up before and just had a dead moose in the back of his truck or a dead deer from someone just picked it up and get, you know put it in there because they knew you guys would use it. Uh, <laughs> so that's how the, the bait works. And, and whether you haul it in the pickup or in a lot of cases, you know, you've got to put it on a sled behind a snowmobile. I want to let people know how you know, this is a this is a physically demanding undertaking. I mean, moving all of that bait around, you know, you've got heavy gear, you're hauling in and out. Um, some places you can't get the snow machine all the way back there, so then you've got to unhook the sled from the snow machine and then you know manually haul it in there. Uh, so it's uh, I know you and Lloyd both had to go to have, have gone to the uh, chiropractor here in <laughs> in recent weeks. Yeah, there's a lot of heavy lifting with the uh, the bait. We try to keep the block fairly large, you know, 150 pounds anyway, and uh, utilize toboggans as much as we can and try not to lift it as much as we can. Well, there's no doubt that it's sometimes backbreaking work. But let's do this, Jack. Let's take a quick break, come back, and then get into a typical day on the trap line as far as checking and then resetting traps. You bet. Perfect. That segment, by the way, was proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you didn't know, though, All Seasons also has a full lineup of backyard barbecue stuff, like the fire pit I've got out at the Deer Lease and also uh, the smoker I have sitting on my patio. So whether you want a barbecue or sit around the campfire, All Seasons has you covered. You can find it all at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, up next, we'll set some snares for Lynx, a couple conibear traps for Martin, and maybe even catch a wolf in a leg hold right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit bobcatofdallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hey folks, Mike Iaginelli. I want to thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Took my first breath where the muddy rises spills into the Gulf of Mexico and the skyline is colored by chemical plants to put bread on 
Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Keep the wolves away. One of my favorites there from Uncle Lucius. Uh, thank you to Dallas Safari Club, our title sponsor, and uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. And thanks to you guys for being here. No doubt about that. Uh, there'd be no reason to have a show if y'all didn't tune in. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we are still visiting with my good friend Jack Hooper of Babine Guide Outfitters. I had the pleasure of spending a week with uh, Jack and Lloyd Hooper up in British Columbia about what, a week, 10 days ago now. And I spent the first four days with Lloyd. Uh, we developed a pretty good rapport before he had to head out of town. And, and so I'd spend the last two days on the trap line with Jack. Uh, so got to experience both of the Hooper brothers and uh, both extremely knowledgeable in the time-honored tradition of trapping. So we're going to pick that up here momentarily. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. And if you didn't know, the uh, numbers just came in. The 2018 DSC convention raised $7.5 million that will be earmarked for DSC programs and conservation initiatives. So uh, awesome stuff there. Uh, check it out, biggame.org. All right. Well, let's uh, pick it up here with our friend Jack Hooper as we discuss a typical day on the trap line. But essentially, you know, after our morning wolf hunt and a, uh, a hearty breakfast, we would load up the truck and head out. Um, and whether we stayed in the truck uh, for the duration of the day or drove to a location and hopped on a snow machine that Lloyd had hidden intermittently throughout this vast wilderness. I mean, he would say, hey, hang tight, I'll be right back. A couple minutes later, he'd just show up on a snowmobile. So no telling how many snowmobiles the Hoopers have hidden all over BC. But anyway, uh, a typical day, you know, we'd, we'd drive up on a set and Lloyd would say, okay, here we have a Martin and a Wolverine set or a Martin and a Lynx. And so for the Martin and Wolverine, it was typically uh, bear traps. Yeah, typically we use a 280, or our favorite is a 330 for the uh, Wolverine. Uh-huh. Just such a large and strong animal that you need a very large and strong trap. And so, talk about the talk about you know what a conibear trap essentially is. It's a, a body catch, which uh, once it catches the animal, uh, it dispatches the animal very very quickly. And uh, if you set it up properly, it'll actually leap out of the trap and uh, capture the animal. Okay. Yeah, and, and all the animals that we caught in the conibears, uh pretty much just snaps right around their neck. I mean, that's the perfect catch. And then you might get a second catch around the body, but if this thing slams down on your neck, you're dead within seconds. I mean, it's a very humane way to go. And and these, like you said, uh, wolverines, although <laughs> my first experience with a wolverine was one where I, I witnessed just how strong they were because this thing grabbed the entire bait box, which was as, as big as it was, drug it 15 yards, somehow avoided getting caught by the conibear, and then destroyed the box, which is made of, uh, I don't know what kind of wood, but you couldn't just pull it apart with your bare hands. No, they're nailed together, uh, typically one-inch material, uh-huh. uh, fairly wide planks so that uh, the conibear can uh, fit inside it. 
But, uh, yeah, that Wolverine was a little smarter than most. And instead of uh, approaching from uh, the front, it pretty much approached from the side and tore it apart. <laughs> yeah. If you had to say one animal out of the uh, the species that you guys catch frequently, which one's the hardest to catch? Uh, I'd have to say Wolverine. They're uh, You're targeting them, and they could be quite smart, elusive. The wolf is hard to catch, uh, but we put so much effort into it that we catch quite a few. Mm-hmm. We might only have a dozen or so Wolverine sets out there, but we could have up to 150, you know, close to 200 wolf snares out there in order for us to catch the animals that we are. Right, right. Well, and, and but Lloyd and you both said uh, as far as actually catching the Wolverine, I mean, you'll lose three to every one that you catch. But uh, typically what happens with uh, the Wolverine, though, you have to have a very specialized set for the Wolverine. Uh-huh. And if you set out a good conibear trap for a wolverine, you have a very high success on uh, capturing that animal and killing it with the conibear. But if you have snares that are on the ground, they are relentless with the snares where they'll uh, they'll twist it until they actually break the cable. And then you could be running close to a, a 50% maybe up to 60% success on the properly capturing the animal unless you set the snare specifically for a wolverine, which would come with uh, t- uh, tensioning springs, which would uh, tighten it up and dispatch the animal right away uh-huh. before he has a chance to break the cable. Okay, okay. Well, more on that uh, in, in a little bit. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about um, like the first day, you know, for example, um, with Lloyd. I think the first animal we caught was a uh, was a martin, and I'd never seen a martin in my life. You know, I'd only seen them on TV. These animals don't exist where I live. Uh, but a cool thing about the martin, Lloyd explained, as far as bang for your buck, that's the species that a trapper wants to catch the most frequently because they're number one, probably the easiest to catch. Number two, their their pelts are worth a significant amount of money and don't require that much effort uh, in the skinning process. Oh, absolutely. They are very, uh, very easy to catch. The traps are very easy to set, like you said, and uh, pretty much bang for the buck and very easy to skim. The uh, Martins can fetch up to a couple hundred dollars uh, if you get a really good uh, Martin out there and you get top fur lot for them. Uh-huh. And typically right now, my daughter even be out trapping some uh, Martin and she'll get a good average of about 70 to $80 for her Martin. And they're plentiful. I mean, you know, essentially they're they're a big, like ferret-sized uh, weasel with beautiful fur, and uh, yeah, fetch a nice penny. And if you were just if you were just you know from from a non-conservation standpoint, if you were just out there trapping for uh, for money, you know, to to make a living, you told me martins would be really the only thing you'd target. It really would be. Uh, some years, certain species could rise in value. Mm-hmm. And it's quite surprising that at the moment, coyotes are fetching at least $100 at the market right now. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. We did a, I did an interview. I, I think I told you a little bit about this with the, the largest furrier in North America called the Glacier Wear. And he told me that most of those coyotes that he buys, he might buy them from you. He might buy them in Montana, Idaho, wherever. But like Colorado is like that, that line that he doesn't cross. Anything further south from Colorado, the, the pelts just aren't worth buying for him. Uh, but he said most of those coyotes get shipped over to Europe, and they use them for collars on on jackets and and uh, outerwear. Interesting little tidbit there, as far as what these coyotes are being used for. 
back to that, that first day, we, we caught a Martin. We caught some of these little ermine uh, weasels, which essentially are a, a smaller, um, you know, member of the, the weasel family. Uh, so that was pretty cool, once again, in the conibear. And then uh, day two, let's see, with Lloyd, we caught two coyotes and a, a lynx. And, and this is such an educational trip, uh, Jack, because you guys both essentially are walking your, your client through um, how to set the traps, reset them. Yeah, it's a very unique experience that a lot of people seem to want to be a part of. Um, we try to show them how each animal behaves, and a lot of the uh, story is told in the snow. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you try to outsmart the animal, and many of the animals behave differently. So, yeah, each trap is different. Yeah. Well, and it was cool to see, like, the setup for the lynx. It's essentially a bunch of sticks. We might have a, a tree there that's, like, used to support the whole thing, but it's essentially a stick pin with a couple openings in it and a snare there uh, and maybe those three, two or three openings. And then in the middle of it, and this was fascinating, uh, the best bait for a lynx is actually a lynx. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to actually uh, be careful because sometimes you'll come in and you won't have anything left of your lynx because another one will come in and eat it. So you have to set extra snares around your uh, pen to catch the lynx that come in to eat, catch the original lynx that you caught. Right, right. Yeah, but but they don't really attack each other and kill each other in the wild. Not that I've seen. They're very territorial, but uh, I've never seen it where they've been feeding on each other naturally. But uh-huh. certainly when they're laying there dead, they'll not uh, opposed to coming in for a feed. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Well, okay, so we caught, uh, like I said, a couple coyotes, lynx that second day. Third day is where, uh, like, the emotional roller coaster really started. And and I had told you, you know, you asked me what was number one on my list, and I said, well, clearly it's the wolf. If we don't catch a single other animal um, for, for what I want to do and the story I want to tell, I don't care as long as we get one wolf. You know, I, I would have called that a smashing success, and you probably would say, well, that's a total failure if that's all we catch. Um <laughs> But for me, you know, that's what I wanted. And uh, that third day, we we get our coffee, and, and Lloyd and I are sitting there um, in the lodge. And, and like I said, there's that bait 200 yards from the, the lodge door. And he's like, there's something at the bait. And he's looking through his binos, and he's like, I think it's a wolf. It could be a coyote. And, you know, if sun comes up a little bit more, and he's like, it's a wolf. So we go down to the basement, open up the window, and, and make a little uh, shooting spot you know, rest there. Uh, he hands me his, his 300 wind mag and we have to wait for legal shooting time. It was the longest 10 minutes of my life. I think, um, you know, you can see it out there, but it's, it's not really a clear picture, but you know, it's a wolf and you could see it clear enough to tell which way it was facing and, and it would howl, um, which was just a chilling experience. It was so cool to hear that, but you see his head lift up before you ever heard the howl. Uh, just you know, just even 200 yards to travel. That it was uh, pretty cool to see that. Um, but we had to wait for legal, and then Lloyd said, "Okay, it's legal when he's uh, when he's broadside and you're comfortable, take the shot." And I don't think he'd finished saying that before I shot. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Oh, you shot too soon." And I said, "Well, Lloyd, I, damn it, I don't, you know, I, I don't know these animals. I I thought he was gonna get away. You know, essentially everything. My uh, experience with predator hunting is." calling a coyote and he's sprinting in or you know it's a real quick there he is bang you shoot um apparently you know this wolf was very comfortable with the bait and and i found out lloyd could have just stopped him with the howl even if he even if he did try to walk off 
Um, so I, I totally jumped the gun, shot under the wolf. Um, and you know, it was, it was first daylight and, and to be honest with you, the, the, the sight picture wasn't clear and he's, and that was the thing Lloyd kept hit, uh, he kept hitting on. He said, you know, every minute would have counted that would have made that pick that picture more clear for you. And we, we should have just waited until he started to walk off, but I totally jumped the gun there and, and, uh, and then he needled me, he needled me pretty hard for the next day or two. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So, um, I was, uh, beating myself up pretty good. Uh, but that afternoon it was cool because our, uh, our spirits lifted. We caught a giant lynx. I mean, one that he said, uh, this is, this is as big as they get. And, uh, I, I know you measured him. What did that thing go? It was, uh, almost 34 inches from nose to tail, which is pretty much as big as they get. It was a huge, huge male. Yeah. And it was cool because that lynx had actually stolen the lynx bait two times. And Lloyd said, yeah. There's a there's a pretty smart lynx in here. He's gotten away from me twice, but there won't be a third. And he told me he's like, there's gonna be a lynx in here, a pretty nice one, I think, based off the size of his track. And I'll be danged if Lloyd didn't call his shot. Uh, so <laughs> that was pretty impressive. And and that lynx actually, uh, I think that Lloyd had adjusted the height of the snares because he was such a big uh, lynx, and so it avoided those and actually got caught in the Wolverine conibear, uh, double body catch, one around the neck one around the body, and it uh, killed him very quickly. Let's do this, uh, Jack. Let's take another break real quick, come back, and talk about what happens to these animals once they're caught as far as the tedious skinning and salting process because it's one that uh, I find very fascinating. And then who knows, maybe we'll even hear a tale of redemption. All right? You bet. Right on. And that segment brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue and Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, here's what you do. Stop in at Rudy's after a day out on the water or in the woods. Grab yourself a heap and plate of barbecue and finish it off with an ice cold Lone Star beer. Up next, we continue our BC Trapline adventure with Jack Hooper right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. $2 in the jukebox, $5 in a bottle, 10 more just in case that don't do the trick. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. 
Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Lounging in the living room in Long John's More distant than Victoria to St. John's Trying to use a record to repair my heart I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to start again My friend, you're leaving me high and it dry I'm out of your head and I'm losing my mind <laughs> That's the bare naked ladies Canada Dry is the name of that one. I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know they were still around. Uh, those guys were popular when I was in high school, but uh, there I was on my Air Canada flight to Vancouver, and uh, I was checking out the in-flight entertainment. And what do you know? They had a new record out, and I stumbled across that little gym uh, while en route to Canada. Uh, I'm Cable Smith, by the way, and you are listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. Uh, we are all set to continue our British Columbia wolf trapping adventure with Jack Hooper of Babine Guide Outfitters. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by Scent Blaster. Actually, I took my Scent Blaster up to BC. I didn't know if I'd be able to use it just because of the freezing, or, you know, sub-freezing temperatures. But uh, Lloyd, Jack's brother, had a a beaver caster, like beaver fat-based um, attractant for lynx, which wouldn't freeze. So I was able to load that bad boy up and actually use it on a lynx set. And uh, you can put any attractant for any species, whether that's deer, hogs, or predators, in your scent blaster and get more scent out. You can find scent blaster at scentblaster.net. All right. Uh, well, Jack, you know, one thing that really stood out in in this whole adventure was the skinning process and a lot of times these animals um you know you can't check every trap every day you try to check them every other day and so sometimes they're frozen when you get there not that they froze to death because the uh, whether they're snared or caught in a con of air it kills them quickly uh but yeah they're gonna freeze and so sometimes you even have to take into account the thawing process when you're coming up with a game plan to start skinning these animals out? Yeah, typically, if uh, one of these animals come in and they're frozen, it could take up to two days to get it thawed out just so you can get the hide off. Uh-huh. So you can uh, kind of time the skinning around when you think you would have time to be able to do this. You know, Whereas with that one time when we went out and we had lots of animals come in and they're fresh, I hate to freeze them and wait for days later to skin them. So then you're looking at a very, very long night. <laughs> it was 1.30, I think, when we finished skinning yeah. the one night. And uh, Whereas if they come in frozen, you could kind of pick the days that you could skin them and uh, just leave them frozen until you have some time off. Well, there never really was any time off. I mean, uh, if Lloyd was taking me out on the trap line, then you were skinning, and then uh, Lloyd left. So you'd take me out on the trap line, and then you'd skin which, yeah, made for a couple long nights there. But, uh, Jack, once the animals are, are on the skinning rack and you've started skinning them, the process, it doesn't end until that fur or that pelt is in the salt because you guys are trying to get these uh, hides to your hunter or client's taxidermist in pristine condition. Yeah, we're very fortunate that we have a heated shop to work in where we can... Uh, skin the animals and then take the time to turn all the eyes and lips and ears and the feet 
have them ready for your taxidermist so you can do mounts with them and uh, get lots of salt on them, get them dry so that there's no uh, danger of any slippage with the fur. And then you could take your time shipping the hides back to your taxidermist or wherever they may go. And plus we like to take all the skulls from all the animals and we clean them up and we bleach them with hydrogen peroxide. So they're as if they came back from a taxidermist. It's another little keepsake that uh, you get to have when you, when the hides get to you, the skulls will be there from those animals with it too. Yeah. And, and talk about the salting process. How does all of that take place? Well, when we got the hides off in the shop and we're done turning all the, the eyes and lips and feet and all that, um, we take the time to make sure we get salt in all the little pieces of that hide to, so that it gets really dry and uh, gets all the the hair firmed up so that it doesn't slip. Uh-huh. And you could take it to your taxidermist six months from that time, and it would be perfectly safe after it's been dried with that salt, as long as you get it in all the creases. And so the, the hide actually sits in the salt uh, for an extended amount of time? Usually just overnight, and then we'll hang it, and then the salt will be attached to the hide, and and uh, they'll lock up the hair so that it can't slip. Yeah. Fold it up before it gets too dry because you don't want to crack the hide because it'll be that dry that you could actually crack the hide, mm-hmm. and uh, and it can be boxed up ready for shipping after that. Maybe just two days after being uh, taken. Wow. Yeah. So a very quick turnaround time on that. Yeah, I typically I'm pretty busy skinning. If he's out on the line, just uh, you probably don't want to eat my cooking is all. <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, Lloyd is a, a great cook. And first night in, in uh, camp, we had lynx and fried rice. It was awesome. Uh, I hadn't hadn't tried lynx yet. I tried bobcat and mountain lion. Bobcat, not so good. Mountain lion, pretty good. Lynx, I think, might have been the best. Uh, yeah, that's one of Lloyd's specialties. Yeah. He calls it chicken chow meow. <laughs> chicken chow meow. Uh, well, it was good, and, and like I said, Lloyd was a great cook. Um, and then once once Lloyd had to take off, I said, "Well, Jack, uh, what's for dinner?" He said, uh, "How about frozen pizza?" <laughs> and that's what we had. Uh, but lucky for both of us, your wife Crystal came in after that and uh, took care of us for the rest of the trip, which uh, you know, family operation and uh, truly. I felt like you guys all were very adamant about making sure I had everything I needed. Really catering to me. Not that I'm really some high-maintenance guy because far from it. But I felt like y'all made a a, a really concerted effort. And and that was much appreciated. Um, As far as getting back to the wolf saga. And how that was the one animal that I really didn't want to go home without harvesting. And uh, we got into Wednesday morning's fumbled wolf hunt and the missed shot so before sunlight lloyd and i found ourselves back in the basement on thursday morning hoping that that wolf would come back to the bait and i'll be damned if it didn't and we're sitting there looking at it through vinos and lloyd's just counting the seconds on his clock we're waiting for legal shooting time but five minutes before legal that wolf checked his watch and said i think i got shot at roughly about this time yesterday so i'm gonna go ahead and Boogie on out of here. Well, that's the great thing about traps. You don't have to follow legal shooting hours, and they work 24 hours a day. Yeah. So that helps increase the success because those wolves, sometimes they get so darn nocturnal that you, they're showing up uh, outside of the legal shooting hours. Yeah. Uh, well, he certainly did, and he took off. And uh, yeah, we thought we might catch up to him when we uh, we took off uh, for, our, for a morning hunt, uh, but it, it never did make it to that other bait uh, down the lake. Um, Jack. 
how big is Babine Lake? I didn't realize how many miles of shoreline it had until you told me, and I was blown away. Well, the lake itself is 112 miles long. Golly. And it has 365 miles of shoreline. That's incredible. And and we spent a lot of time on the snow machine out on the lake. When does that thing freeze to where you guys can start actually driving out on it? Uh, typically, it's around Christmas. But uh, years vary, uh, typically about two weeks, give or take, where you can have a very safe ice to, to snowmobile on. But usually, even by the end of November, you can at least walk down the lake following the shoreline. Okay, and, and when does it start to thaw out to where it's no longer you know, safe to, to snow machine on? Uh, I'd say probably the end of March. And on a lake of this size, though, there are always dangerous places that you want to avoid. So it's good to make sure that you're on uh, something like Babine Lake with an experienced person that's been there before. Like a uh, beaver dam, for ex- uh, example, would, would sometimes cause uh, weakened ice. Absolutely. And then uh, we have a couple large docks out here, and you want to stay away from the docks because it never gets really good ice right around the dock. Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, let's let's do this. Let's talk about our experience together. We, like I said, we spent the first four amazing days with your brother, uh, Lloyd. You guys are 17 years into this. Lloyd told me, so that's 34. That's almost three and a half decades of experience between the two of you on the trap line. Um, and you're both extremely knowledgeable, but your personalities could not be more different. I'm sure you hear that a lot. Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> so he, so you're the life of the party. He's a little more quiet, reserved. He thinks about uh, his words very carefully. And uh, and for days three and four, most of his uh, comments were jokes at my expense for missing the wolf. Uh, but so anyway, he, uh, he took off to go to his son's uh, lacrosse tournament back to Vancouver. And so f- days five and six, we got to spend together. And I think day five, let's see, how did that, how did that start out, Jack? We, uh, there was no wolf at the bait. Um, so we came back. Oh, snow was a huge factor. Uh, the forecast was calling for, I think what, like two feet over the next three or four days or something like that. Yeah. It seems that we spent most of our time just resetting traps because they were buried in all the extra snow that we'd been receiving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was uh it was definitely snowing pretty hard on that uh day five um which let's see we hit the trap line and I think we caught we had caught a uh you and I caught a lynx together that day and then something um really rare because and I had asked Lloyd earlier in the week when I'm looking around the lodge and all of the mounts that are in there I said what is what is that animal the big you know it was like a martin on steroids and he said oh that's a fisher Really cool animal. It's, what does it primarily eat that most people wouldn't think uh, <laughs> would you'd want to tangle with? Uh, well, surprisingly enough, they're the main predator for porcupines around here. And I don't even think the fisher's as big as a porcupine. No, they just have a technique of getting them upside down, I guess, and and uh, you know being able to get to their parts that don't have quills. But it is very common to be skinning a fisher and to see a couple of porcupine quills inside it. So ferocious little animal. We we ended up coming in on this Martin set, and I was like, "Kelly, that's that's a little big for Martin." He goes, and, and you said, "Well, that's a Fisher. That's awesome." And that was the first one of the entire season. It'd been the first one for two seasons. So pretty rare. Not not that Fishers are like in danger or anything. They're just uh, they're not as common in, in your part of BC. No, there really aren't. If you uh, were to 
have more success on fishers, you'd have to go a little further south in British Columbia, and then they're quite common down there. So, well, that was a pretty cool trophy, uh, and, and very rare, like you said, first one in two seasons. So we were riding high on that, uh, and then you know, checked that trap and got back in the truck, and we had some uh, <laughs> adventures. We got uh, backed into a snowbank, and you know, it's like uh, it was like our own little um, saga of, of of ice road truckers because uh, we had to have a logger come pull us out. Yeah, it's very important to use your radio on those logging roads. And we had a little miscommunication, I think, with uh, the logging truck drivers. And fortunately, we wound up in the ditch. But thank goodness we were able to get pulled out by one of the loggers because there, there wasn't too many of them left in the bush, too, to help us out. Yeah. And so you, uh, you know, tied the tow rope to his truck. He backed up. And this is where, you know, the saying, no good deed goes unpunished because uh, he got us pulled out and then he couldn't get out. He he just couldn't get any traction going on the on the frozen road. Yeah, he had to throw his chains on because he was stuck. But uh, I think he you could tell he'd done it before. I don't think he was there for more than five minutes, and he was all chained up and out of there. Yeah, and this is uh, this is a logging truck that is three sections deep. I mean, massive, massive truck with a ton of full load of of lumber on it. And he all he did though was chain up one tire, and that gave him enough traction to get that that huge machine. Uh, going forward. He told us, though, hey, make sure you're out of the way, because once I'm going, I'm going. Yeah, I was really glad that we were in the ditch, because uh, I think a uh, head-on with that guy, we would have lost. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it is kind of dangerous. You know, Lloyd got run off the road earlier this year, um, completely run off the road. He showed me where he ended up, and uh, if, you, if you're not using those radios, I mean, that's a, a big part of, of uh, everyday life up there. Yeah, and it's an unwritten rule up there that... Uh, the truck hits the ditch, the pickup, and then the logging truck will pull you out after he goes by you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what happened with Lloyd. Luckily, it didn't happen uh, to that degree with you and I. Uh, so we get you know, back on our way, and I think we went to go check a link set, and we get back to the truck, and you look at me and you said, the keys are in the truck. And I said, yeah, so? Well, the truck's locked. <laughs> and we're like, oh, yes. And... Uh, I don't know which one of us bumped the the lock button on the uh, on the way out to the link set, but I told you it was seventy uh, percent your fault because you're the one that left the keys in the ignition. <laughs> <laughs> but man, we tried like hell to get in there. We we used the pickaxe and a hatchet and some cut some wood and wedged the door almost open enough to get a you know at first a antenna uh, from the radio antenna and then ultimately a, we cut a willow and and we just couldn't get it done. Yeah, that's when we uh, learned that there's some sort of anti-theft device that doesn't allow you to unlock a door, I guess, when, unless somebody's sitting in the seat. Yeah. I never heard of such a thing. Uh, no, we found out the hard way. I mean, because you, you were hammering on the unlock with the with the willow uh, limb there, and and it, you could hit the lock button, and you could hear it go click, and but no dice on the unlock. So I got the video camera out, and uh, we knew there was only one option because the radio was in the truck, and we're up here, you know, out there in the middle of nowhere, no cell service. Uh, the last logging trucks had already gone by for the day, and and it was uh, time to bust the window out with a pickaxe. <laughs> yeah, well, the back windows were tinted, and you couldn't see out them very well anyway. <laughs> well, people go, need to go check that out on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, just how nonchalant you were about that. From a storytelling standpoint, it makes for a good joke. Probably not for your checkbook, though. Actually, I was quite surprised. For $200, we had a new window in there, and, and it was a clear window, so we can't see out of it <laughs> a lot better. 
<laughs> well, if you guys haven't noticed, uh, Jack always has a positive outlook on things. But hey, uh, we do need to take one last break, Jack. Uh, so I assume you're cool to stick around. Yeah, no problem. Awesome. That segment, by the way, brought to you by IOTA Outdoors. Check out their trio of custom rifle stocks. They've got the uh, Kremlin. That's the OG, original gangster. Then they've got the Kremlin, which is the backcountry-friendly option I've got on my rifle. And now they've got the new precision-style clutch. You can find this happy trio right there at iotaoutdoors.com. Well, when we come back, we will put a bow on this BC adventure, wrap it up all nice and tidy, and let you know whether I went home sulking in my own misery after missing the wolf, or if there was indeed a tale of redemption. You'll find out right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. If you don't love it, leave it, let this song I'm singing be a warning. you running down my Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3curl.com to book your next hog hunt. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. For the first time in the collective memory, that old brown prairie that had been so dry for so long was very muddy, boggy, sticky. We'd pull one truck out and get another stuck in, and motors would roar and tires would spin. We'd sink right down, down to the diff, and we'd all take turns and do it again until no one could move. We'd call one more friend, come on out here, we need you. Bring your truck. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. The Chef Got Stuck. Uh, That's Canada's own Core Blonde. Highly appropriate since my buddy Jack Cooper and I spent uh, much of our time with the Chevy stuck on our BC adventure. Hey, but that didn't prevent us from stacking up the fur and prevent me from learning and soaking up everything that this great tradition had to offer. Uh, from setting snares, I mean, Jack and Lloyd, 
Every time they'd touch a wolf snare, before they did that, they would find a balsam fir tree, take some of the needles, and rub them in their hands uh, because that tree specifically was so aromatic that it would help cover up human scent. And so it was just little things like that that you picked up on every day out on the line. And I feel like if I was to come back to Texas and, and want to start my own trap line, I would at least have the knowledge to do so as far as how to set snares, how to set leg holds and cono bears. Uh, not saying I'd be successful, uh, but I now have the knowledge base to do that uh, if I so choose, which was part of the reason why I wanted to go. Uh, and so we will continue our discussion with Jack Hooper here momentarily. But first, uh, this segment of the Lone Star Outdoors show is brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of, friends. Uh, but everybody wants it. If you're looking to make that dream a reality, then you need to call Lone Star Ag Credit. They've been helping folks finance their own slice of paradise for over 100 years, and they'll do the same for you. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. All right, uh, well, Jack, let's pick it up here uh, with our epic adventure. And it was epic, and there were screw-ups, and there were laughs, and there were low points. Uh, but day six was all about high points. And, you know, we started off that morning with a cup of coffee and then sat at the lodge bait. Uh, no wolf showed up. And, you know, uh, at this point, I think that was as low as I had felt on the entire trip. I know I didn't show it externally. But, man, I was really kicking my own butt for uh, missing on Wednesday. And, you know, I traveled all the way to Smithers, British Columbia, to make that dream of harvesting a wolf my reality. And whether, you know, I shot it or, or trapped it, I, I didn't care. I mean, I was there to learn how to trap anyway. So I just assumed, you know, get one on the trap line. And uh, that's really what I came there to do. But it hadn't happened yet. And so we... uh. We do our normal uh, wolf hunt in the morning. We walk a mile, check a bait. Uh, there's no activity there. And we'd find out real quick why that was. But uh, we headed back, had a had a quick breakfast, and then jumped on the snow machine. And, Jack, about how many miles would we head out uh, to check our first wolf station across the frozen ice there on Babine Lake? Oh, usually we go down the lake about seven miles, okay. you know, uh, yeah. get to one of our snare stations. Uh-huh. Okay, and... And I think we were about halfway there, um, and Lloyd, earlier in the week, Lloyd and I had set out some leg holds. I, I, he set them out, and I just watched and learned. Um, and he said, you know, I haven't caught a wolf in a leg hold this season, but I'm feeling pretty good about that wolf that you missed, that it's still hanging around here. And uh, and we're driving down the lake, and I'll be damned if there wasn't a freaking wolf hung up in one of those leg holds. I mean, uh, you saw it first, and, and I couldn't even believe my eyes. Yeah, it was a perfect catch, uh, uh, and Lloyd, he's really good at those leg holds. You know, if, if he's putting them out there, there's a really good chance something's going to be in them. Well, and, I mean, there was high fives. I think I even gave you a hug, and uh, I don't think I kissed you on the neck, but I probably wanted to. And <laughs> it was uh, it was surreal. I'm still I'm smiling right now. Uh couldn't believe it. I finally got to put my hands on, uh, on, on a gray wolf. A beautiful female, probably weighed oh, 90 pounds or so. And that's pretty standard for, for that area. Yep, that one there it was at least 90 pounds, probably closer to 100, but a very mature, uh, older uh, female wolf. Yeah, and then she looked like she'd been gotten in a few tussles recently. Yeah, she had a few bite marks on her that looked like uh, she was on the receiving end of. Yeah, and her teeth were pretty worn, so 
Uh, definitely looked like an older female. And wh- what does a big male weigh um, in your part of BC? Usually about 115 pounds. One of the most recent ones that we caught, we, we don't typically weigh them, but it was a very large male, and we weighed it, and it came out to 115 pounds. Wow. I'm, like I said, I'm still smiling. Uh, it was a dream come true for me to get that wolf. And the day wasn't over. Uh, so um, it was in the cards for us. Redemption, you know, <laughs> I no longer had to beat myself up. And uh, we got the wolf. So the rest of the day, it was, I said, we're just playing with house money now. And uh, the house was good to us again towards the end of the afternoon. We come up to a link station, and I turned the corner, and I said, damn, that's a, that looks like a wolverine. <laughs> It's not a very common thing to catch a wolverine in a lynx set. It, usually they're not strong enough to ever hold one. Uh-huh. But we, he must have just got caught because yeah. I, I can't see how he was still there. Yeah, and I said, you know, basically you carry a twenty-two for the rare cases where the animal is uh, in a snare and, and maybe it's caught up on the arm or it just got snared or whatever, and you have to dispatch them. And, and uh, we ended up having to, you know, shoot the wolverine and, uh, when we're we're getting it out of the snare, I mean, it was barely hanging on by a thread jacket. It it had almost busted out of there. Yeah, we gave a little tug on the cable afterwards, and uh, it was super easy just to break the snare. It had probably four strands that were damaged left, and that was it to hold that wolverine in place. If we were there half hour later, we would not have a wolverine, I believe. Yeah. And luckily, we just happened up on him before he had a chance to. Yeah, well, so that was, uh, you You said now this trip has gone from uh, good to basically epic because we got the only fisher of the season. We got a wolf. We caught three lynx, three coyotes, four martens, three weasels, and now a wolverine. And I think only about uh, 40% of the guys get a wolverine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, usually we might get five or six species, but I believe you got seven. Seven, yeah, seven species. It was incredible. It it. Far exceeded my expectations. Uh, like I said, if I just got the one wolf, I would have been thrilled. Now I'm now I have a a pretty high taxidermy bill, and I think I'm getting four or five things life size mounted. Uh, so it was uh, it was a trip for the ages. One that um, I wanted to do because I, and I I, I want to reiterate, yeah, I wanted to get a wolf, but I also wanted to take in this uh, time honored tradition of trapping. I mean, that's what pushed westward expansion. In the United States, before gold, before anything else, it was the fur trade. It pushed uh, everybody west, you know. Um, and and so I'm glad to see that you and Lloyd are are keeping it alive and well. It was a, truly a an educational experience for me, one that I that I certainly won't forget, and a trip that I I recommend to to anybody who is is interested in that part of uh, our tradition as as a American outdoorsman, essentially. Yeah, it's a, a totally unique experience, not like anything uh, anybody's really done before. At least that's what people tell me. Uh, very uh, A very different type of trip. Yeah. Well, and, and just a little history, you guys didn't start the trap line, you know, to take clients out. You started it from a conservation standpoint. Yes, and then there was also uh, some winter income for me and my brother just going out before we ever bought the guiding area. Uh-huh. And then uh, a lot of it was for helping with uh, predator control. Sure. Because um, uh, we rely so much on our ungulates around here, and the predators were really starting to get out of control. So it was the only way that we could get a handle on them. And uh, 
it's expensive and it takes a lot of time, but it's a really awesome experience to go out on the trap line. And pretty soon we started receiving requests from regular clients to join us. And then now it's turned into a, a seasonal thing. We're part of our season actually for our, our business and it helps with the, the ungulate enhancement. Yeah. Well, and, and I asked you, you know, I said, what is the wolves number one food source um, around here? And uh, it was moose. Oh, absolutely. If you got lots and lots of wolves and uh, the moose are really um, taking a pretty bad uh, hit as far as our populations, if the, if the wolf populations get out of control. Sure. And moose hunts, I guess they're your number one source of income as far as, as what you sell the most of. Yes. And then also it's the main uh, animal that locals like to hunt too. It, it keeps their freezers full and yeah. uh, many people come to count on it. And it's uh, something that we want to keep strong. And would you say for that reason, you and Lloyd have a pretty good relationship with the local community? Oh, absolutely. We try to maintain a really good relationship with the locals so that we can all work together to try and uh, improve our uh, population. And they appreciate what you're doing, though, as far as trapping the wolves. Yes, and it's hard for lots of other people to participate in this kind of predator control because it costs so much money and it takes so much time. Mm-hmm. So me and my brother are able to do it because we have such an invested interest in it. Absolutely. Um, Jack, as we're wrapping up here, about how many wolves do you guys uh, catch annually? Typically, we average around 30 wolves a year, 30 to 34 uh-huh. is a, a typical year. Um, last year, we did really, really well. We got 46. But uh, an average year would be typically around 30. Okay. So that's a, I mean, that's a, a pack, maybe two packs. That's probably two packs right there that, uh, you know, across the board that you guys are um, taking out of the equation. And, of course, other wolves move in and take their place. But at least uh, Lloyd told me that he's certainly seen uh, moose numbers increase since you guys have been doing this with such dedication. Yeah, and our local Fish and Wildlife just did a moose count, and they noticed this year that there was a very high survival rate so far for the calves. That's awesome. Well, at the end of the day, trapping is conservation, my friend. and You guys are are offering something from a conservation standpoint that I'm a big fan of. And then as far as, it, like I said, if anybody wants to do something outside of the box, this is the trip for you. It's like nothing else out there. Well, hey, if you want to... Uh, plug your website and, and any other hunts that you guys offer? Well, the main things that we offer up here, though, are our moose hunts and then uh, also black bear hunts in the springtime. Um, we do uh, mountain goat hunts also, and then we do the winter wolf hunt and trap line trips. But you can uh, look at our website at www.babbingguides.com, and uh, that'll give you most of the information you would need to learn stuff about us, and feel free to call us anytime. Well, Jack, man, I certainly uh, enjoyed it. I call you and Lloyd friends now, and I look forward to a, I don't know, I told you I'm interested in maybe doing one of those mountain goat hunts here in the next year or two, so maybe that'll be our uh, our next adventure together. Oh, we'll make sure we harass you for that one. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, take care. You too. All right, there he goes, my good friend, Jack Hooper. Um, man, what a trip. Truly one that stands out against all the other uh, adventures that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of. Uh, that one, whew, uh, I still can't believe it. It was uh, truly amazing. And it was everything that I hoped it would be. 
and then so much more. Now, as far as semantics go, I know people are going to want to know, well, how much does something like that cost? And I will tell you guys and gals that I trade out a lot of these hunting uh, opportunities for advertising. This is not one of those situations. I paid full price. I saved for two years. I think I paid the uh, first deposit of around $3,000 uh, in 2016 and then saved, uh, scraped the pennies together for a couple more years and paid the rest upon arriving, which I think so total around six grand. But it was worth it. Every last cent, it was worth it. And uh, I highly recommend the trip. Uh, that segment of the presentation was proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Optics. If you haven't seen the video I posted recently of a field mouse at 100 yards that I filmed with my uh, Pulsar Helion monocular, I encourage you to check it out. It is stunning. And that kind of industry-leading technology is only found at Pulsar. And you'll get 20% off their entire lineup of thermal or night vision optics if you use my promo code Lone Star. That's Lone Star. And they'll give you free shipping. Forgot about that. Uh, so Lone Star when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Uh, unfortunately, that is going to do it for today. We are flat out of time. Got to get out of here. We only had one guest today. So uh, I want to say thanks to Jack Cooper. Also, thanks to his brother Lloyd. Who uh, Lloyd, like I said, a man of a few words. And I did sit down and tape a podcast uh, with Lloyd while we were in BC. Um, but the uh, sound quality, for some reason, wasn't that great. And I think Lloyd was out of his comfort zone anyway. He was just humoring me. Uh, so, and, and at that point in time, when I taped it, I all we all we knew was that I'd missed the wolf. We hadn't caught the other wolf yet. Uh, so it wasn't as good a content <laughs> as visiting with Jack here. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Trapline Adventure. Here's one of my favorites from the late great Daryl Singletary, uh, gone way too soon, passed away this week. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I am moved by the Spirit, and I am here to testify. Found an amen kind of love, the kind that makes you fall down.